Good morning. How are you? I'm glad you're here. Welcome to the creek. Uh, glad you're here. I'm Pastor Matt. Um, Ryan mentioned if, you, if this is your first time, fill out one of those cards and uh, we will get some information to you about the church and uh, just to be able to keep that introduction going on. And for our church family, that's a great way to communicate to us. Uh, fill that out if you change your email address or uh, you move. That's just a great way for us to have uh, up-to-date contact information for you. And when you fill that out, we'll send you some email information uh, about what's going on at the church. I try not to bombard you with emails, um, so we try to send one, maybe two a week, depending on what's going on. So I am glad you're here. We're in Matthew 25. We're getting close to the end of Matthew, but um, because we're in 25, don't think the end is quite that near. Uh, we probably have a couple months left in, in Matthew. Um, we've been in Matthew since we launched about eight, 15 months ago, and uh, we're just figured we're going to take our time. We want, uh, we want God to really teach us, mold us, and develop us through Scripture. If you don't have a Bible, there's one on the floor at the end of the row. Uh, if you need one, if you just wave at the person at the end and say, can you pass me one? Or if you wink at them, they send it a lot quicker. Um, so we're going to be in Matthew 25. Uh, if you need some help getting there, you can look in the table of contents and that'll help you get there. Let me, uh, let me kind of help you with what is going on. Uh, we, let me set some context. And uh, over the last uh, several weeks, uh, beginning in Matthew 21, we have Jesus entering Jerusalem and entering the temple. And uh, this is all in the span. We are still teaching through one week of Jesus' life uh, from Matthew 21 up to today. And he rides into Jerusalem, rides into the temple. Um, he goes into the temple, and, and what does he do? He, he clears it out, um, which is kind of funny. You see Jesus coming into the church and shutting it down. Um, but he said, if you're going to fake it, I'm going to break it. Uh, he was just fed up with the religious uh, leaders uh, abusing religious authority to make money. I'm glad that has no context to today. Um, but Jesus says, if you're going to fake it, I'm going to break it. I, I'm not going to put up with this, this phony stuff. I want a real relationship with you. And so he shuts it down. The same people who were shouting as Jesus came into the city, uh, Hosanna, Hosanna to the son of David, uh, a week later are going to be shouting, crucify him, um, because they didn't like how Jesus was disrupting their system that they had in place. Um, Jesus says, I, I'm not going to mess around with this. I don't want to play religious games. I want a real relationship with you, and let's put all the junk to the side, and let's not fake this thing. And so in 21, it got, this is where it starts to begin. In 22, he exposes the false behaviors of, of the religious leaders, and he says, look, uh, you, you, can, you can talk a good game, but your actions completely negate what you're telling the people to do. I mean, he was, he was attacking their leadership because he says, you give them commands, but you do nothing to help them. You're, you're steeped in hypocrisy. And hypocrisy locks people out of the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus again says, look, if you're going to fake it, I'm going I'm to break it. And then uh, in 23, he calls out those hypocrites. In 24, um, which is a really sweet chapter, <laughs> um, you see Jesus getting, I mean, he, he continues this wave of anger. Um, and, and 24, he really says, okay, now I'm going to judge your city. And, and not only am I going to judge your city because of the hypocrisy, I'm going to destroy the temple because you've been faking it and I'm sick of it. Within a generation, the, de the temple was destroyed, AD 70. And it's never been rebuilt. And Jesus, you know, he, we've got to understand here, Jesus is angry and he's fighting in these chapters, but he's, he's angry for us. 
Okay, he's fighting for us. He's fighting this system of dead religion versus a real relationship. And this breaks the heart of Jesus. And he says, look, I, I've, I've pleaded with you. I've begged with you. I've wept over your city. And you still refuse to, to, to come to this point of reality with me. And now it's, it's going to go away. And, and 25, chapter 25 is equally angry and dramatic and, and intense because he says not only is it is a... Uh, people on the line, is your city on the line, is the temple on the line. But in 25, he starts really driving to the point, eternity is on the line. And Jesus does not mess around with this. We've got to understand this, that religion will not get us a relationship with Jesus. All the nice things that religion can, can kind of lead us to do might give us a nice, clean, outward appearance. But honestly, I grew up being able to to fake religion very well. I, I could do the little niceties and, ha- and not have a relationship with Jesus. And today, as we go into Matthew 25, we're going to look at uh, verses 1 through 13. It's a parable um, of the 10 virgins um, or the 10 bridesmaids, maidens. And uh, the whole point of this, I'm going to kind of give you the whole point of all this up front. doesn't mean you can take a nap, but um, I'm going to give you everything. The point of this is to make sure your faith is personal. Because you can go through the religious games and have no personal connection to Jesus. And honestly, I've heard people say, well, nowhere in Scripture do I find where it actually says that I'm to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That, that's a modern church philosophy. Uh, that, that's wrong. Everything that Jesus talks about in a relationship with him and him coming to earth and the gospel is him being our groom. There, there's all through Scripture... It is seen and known and implied that we are to have a relationship with Jesus, that he desires to know us. I can't imagine the God of the earth and the creator of everything creating something that he doesn't desire a close relationship with. And honestly, if I'm going to have a close relationship, it's going to be personal. It's going to bring a high level of vulnerability to it. And, and let's just lock in here and read through this. We're going we're gonna to plow through this parable. A parable is this. It is a, uh, it's a parallel story. He, he's telling a story that will have spiritual implications. It's kind of like railroad tracks. You know, he, he's telling the story, but the root truth and the reality exist on the, on the side. And so he's going to go into this. Um, uh, we're going to start in verse 1 through 8. And uh, let me just, before I get into this, some of you may be interested. Some of you participated this week and in my little Facebook poll because um, we're going to get into something that you don't borrow in this, in this passage, in this parable. And uh, I want to read the results to you because they were quite humorous. All I said, if you, if you missed it, I posted on Facebook, uh, tell me something that you would not ever borrow from someone or you would never let someone uh, borrow something from you. Um, the very first thing was mascara. I, I have no context to that, so um, I'm sure that's very personal in nature. Um, dental floss. Now, they didn't qualify it. I have let people borrow my case of dental floss for them to use, and I carry those dental picks, you know, and I've let somebody borrow a new one of those, but I don't let a, I actually, I don't borrow, they don't borrow it. I don't want it back, you know. Um, there's all kinds of funk that comes out. Um, on those dental picks. Um, nose hair trimmer. I, you know, I'm with you. You know, there's just something unsanitary about that. <laughs> that ain't right. Um, money. Um, 
they, they act to qualify. They said, I hate borrowing money. So um, maybe it was that. Um, I don't get this one, but it said fat, a heart, a fat heart. I give up. Is this a trick question? Um, used tissue. I will, let me just say this. Nay, nay, I say unto thee. Okay, if I got a runny nose, you know, let's find a fresh tissue. Um, let's not get the crumpled up, you know, that has some, some things that, that might have hardened on the inside. Uh, no, no, no. A motorcycle. You just don't borrow someone's scooter. You see, uh, there's some truth in that. But I have borrowed others' motorcycles. So um, please bear with me on that. Oh, now we're getting some real stuff. Spouse, okay? I, I, I was so glad to see that someone actually says, I'm not going to loan my spouse out to someone. And two people said that. So there is redemption for the last two, okay? Uh, toothbrush. Uh, come on, people. I would give you my dental floss before I'd give you my toothbrush. And then this one just makes you go, hmm, underwear. Okay, multiple people said underwear. I mean, who do you live around, you know? And how would you ever... You had to have probably been asked this, you know? You're on a camping trip with a guy. Hey, uh, man, I hate to ask this, but uh, you got any underwear I could borrow? Let me teach you a new term. It's called going commando. Uh, that ain't happening. Um, again, nay, nay, I say into these. So thank you for those... Um, you know, you guys are just can be really gross, and it's fun. Um, so <laughs> that's how we roll. We're just honest around here. Um, so let's get in this. There's actually a point to that because there is something uh, in this parable that, that you do not borrow according to Jewish custom. And let's start reading. Uh, at, the time, uh, at that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps, but did not take any oil with them. There it is. Uh, The wise, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At the midnight cry, uh, here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, give us some of your oil Our lamps are going out. In the Jewish custom, you do not borrow this oil. Um, Let let me kind of help you with with setting some context because uh, for us, uh, these 10 virgins would be bridesmaids. Um, In our culture, uh, bridesmaids' responsibilities have been pared down quite a bit. Um, They just make sure the, the flowers are in check and they zhuzh the dress, you know. I mean, I do wedding rehearsals. And I have to tell the maid of honor, okay, when they turn, your responsibility is to grab the flowers and make sure the back of the dress looks fine for pictures from the back of the room. You know, because you just, that's just, you can't have that, you know? Well, I turn slightly, and it has to be perfect. And so the bridesmaid's responsibility, and I think you probably throw a shower in the bachelorette party and all that, but the, the responsibilities have been pared down. In Jewish culture, in the Jewish custom, if you were asked to be a bridesmaid, there has to be a a close relationship with the bride and with the groom. And what that would mean is your responsibility was to provide oil in the lamp. Your your primary responsibility was to provide light. Because here's the way a a wedding would go down. Um, In the morning, they would all gather at the groom's house, and then they 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 would have the ceremony, 
They would have the, 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 the ceremony under the, the prayer cloth or under the presence of God. And then they would have a, a light snack. And then they would each adjourn to their separate homes. The groom and his boys would stay at the groom's house or the groom's parents' house. And the bride and, and her, her entourage of bridesmaids would then go back to her parents' house and they, they would relax um, throughout the day because they, through the heat of the day, the servants were preparing, preparing the feast. Then when the feast was ready, the groom would load up or walk up or you know, jump on their donkeys or however they would choose to travel. And they would go to the, the bride's house and they would pick her up. When they got there, it would be dark. So the responsibility of a bridesmaid was to make sure that as it got dark, you kept an oil lamp burning. So when the groom and his men came to get the bride and the bridesmaids, they would recognize the light of the house because there was no street lights back then. I don't know if you've ever been in the country when it's dark. Your eyes don't adjust that much. Um, and you, you really need to watch where you're stepping, um, especially in a society where animals do roam the streets freely. Um, you don't want that on the bottom of your wedding dress, ladies. Um, that just ruins the whole mood of everything. And so what you have is uh, these, these maidens or these bridesmaids would then light their... their lamps, and they would light the way for the wedding party for the bride and the groom. If you uh, did not have enough oil, I thought about naming this, this teaching extra virgin olive oil, um, <laughs> or EVOO, as Rachel Ray would say. Um, yeah, I said it. I've seen Rachel, Rachel Ray. I'm not scared to admit that. I've been, the, I've been the recipient of some great things Heather has cooked after watching the Rachel Ray show and the EVOO. Um, but against better judgment, I, you know, actually I ran that filter through Heather and she's like, no. So um, <laughs> Heather's not here today. So I still, you know, I've got to stay focused. Um, she's down out at, out at her parents' place, um, uh, taking care of her parents this weekend. Um, so, um, but if you did not have oil as a bridesmaid, if you didn't bring enough oil and you were unprepared, you're basically saying to the bride, my relationship with you doesn't matter that much. I, I don't really care enough about our relationship to provide what I need to provide. In, in other words, I don't think you're worthy of me bringing my supply and, and me taking care of all of this. I have no personal connection in this. That is a major disrespect to the audience here in this, a Jewish audience, and Matthew is a Jew writing from a Jewish perspective, to say this, this king, this Jesus is your Messiah. For a Jewish audience to hear that, I mean, it would be like us saying people watching Bridezilla. Um, yeah, I went there too. I watched that the other night with Abby, and that was a train wreck. But it would be, it, it, for them, that would be like Jesus describing what Bridezilla, what we see on Bridezilla. Like, that's absolutely unacceptable. I, that, that's just appalling. That can never happen. No, there's no way a bridesmaid would be in the wedding party and not be prepared. That just, does, that, just, that just is foreign to me. And in that culture, that was a huge sign of disrespect. And Jesus is saying, that's, that's, what I, that's the context I'm setting for you. And you've got to make sure your faith is personal. If your faith is not personal, you're not willing to put into, uh, in, into it what is required to show I'm bringing me to the table. And if you were disrespecting the wedding in that regard, you would be asked to leave. You, you basically uninvited yourself to the, to the feast. It was called the wedding feast. 
you uninvited yourself because you said, it's just not worth it. And we're going to find out that there are some things that you cannot borrow. And faith, you cannot borrow faith. Faith is very personal. Faith has to be personal with you. You know, what about, what about my grandparents? My grandparents were very faithful. They were Christians. I mean, I, I think everyone I met has a praying grandma. You know, well, you know what? There's going to be a lot of praying grandmas that are in heaven. But that's great that you had a praying grandma, but you, have, you can't ride the coattails of her faith. Well, I was baptized in a, as an infant. I, I'm glad you were baptized in, as an infant, and that means that your parents love you and care for you enough that they want to expose you to spiritual things. Well, I was, went through confirmation. Confirmation. I'm glad that, again, your parents expose you to, to spiritual things, but you have to make it personal. I mean, when I, when I met Heather and I saw her, I fell in love. It became very personal from that moment on. And when you interact and encounter Jesus, and when you collide with him and your life comes in, that the goal is for it to become personal, that no one else's faith can get you into that relationship with God. No one else's oil was going to go in their lamps. Because first of all, if you're going to disrespect the entire wedding party, by not being prepared, my oil is not going in your lamp. Sorry. Go find your own. And see, he, he, what we've got to understand is Jesus, he, he's driving this. Jesus wants real. Think about the context of the last several chapters. He comes into Jerusalem. He knows what he's coming in to do. He knows he's coming in to die for the sins of mankind. And he knows the weight and he's carrying the spiritual burden and he's walking this walk and he knows everything that has happened, is happening and is about to happen. He is fully man and fully God. And he is desiring, he is saying, I want a personal relationship with you. I mean, the, the, the bridesmaids, they, they were virgins. So they kind of, they fit the mold. They looked the part. I mean, there's a lot of people in church that look the part. I mean, we've got some nice, sweet religious people sitting in church, but have no personal connection with Jesus whatsoever. And when we get to heaven, God is not going to look at us, and God does not judge us based on, are you good or are you bad? Because we're all bad. I I cannot, I'm so glad that by the grace of God and the cross that Jesus endured, that God doesn't put this giant scale up and say, "How how much good? Oh, and you're, you're thinking, okay, this is going to go. And then they start adding the bad things and you start sweating it. You start sweating it and you start sweating it. Honestly, every one of us, there's no way the good will ever be over the bad. From the fall of Adam to now, we were, are born into a sin nature. There is no way we can get there. God looks at us and he will judge us based on, and he accepts us based on a personal relationship. I mean, we've got to understand this. I don't know what your church history is. I know some, some have grown up in some churches, and uh, it's created church baggage. You carry scars from religious beatings as a child. Some of you have not grown up in church, and, and you think some of this may be foreign. It's like, well, you know, some of you, your only church experience is here at the creek. 
Or you think, well, church just happens in a daycare and, and people are loving and, and Matt has to wait for him to shut up so he, he can get to teaching. And that's, I think that's what church is. This is great. You know what? We're not a perfect church and we will never be a perfect church because we're not perfect people. But, but here's the thing. Regardless of our church experience, we have to understand that God unconditionally accepts us, that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. While we were so caught up in our bad state, he says, I'm willing to go to the cross because I'm making it personal. And he wants us to reciprocate the personal relationship. And we can't borrow that from anyone. Let's go on, verses 10 and 11. We've got to make sure you're ready. Let me read this to you. He says, but while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet and the door was shut. That's pretty, pretty final right there. Later the, also, later, the others also came. Sir, sir, they said, open the door for us. You see, we've got to make sure that we're prepared. I don't know if you've ever, if you've grown up in church, this may strike some baggage with you. Um, it, it's warm in here and we're adjusting air conditioning. We're trying to get the building as cool as we can. Um, but I grew up in churches where they were just hot because you got to raise the temperature, you know. It's kind of like you'd have your hanky, you know, and like, <laughs> you know. I grew up, I, I mean, I'm telling you, we could throw down. But I don't know if you ever heard it where, where you were threatened with the gospel, um, where Jesus is saying, the door's going to be shut. You know, I don't know if it was, you know, where the voice kind of changes, like, oh, my friend, you know, oh, my friend, you've got to take care of this now. Because you don't know. You could walk out that door and get hit by a bus. You know, and I think sometimes a pastor wanted that to happen just so they could say, last week it happened to Sister Jean. And she's in the glory of God right now. But thank God she was prepared. Now you've got to take care of this now. Jesus has not given us this as a threat. Jesus is not sitting here saying, the door will be shut. There's finality. There will be a judgment coming. And the judgment is based on a personal relationship, not how good or how bad you were. And Jesus is not saying threats. I'm not teaching this as a threat. Don't take this as a threat. It is what it is. You know, Jesus died on the cross for us. If that doesn't get us, threats aren't going to help. And so let's, let's encounter Jesus for who he really is and not be threatened by him. I mean, if you're threatened by Jesus, then, then your, your visual image of him is going to be coming judge. You know what? In my transformation and relationship with him, I see him as my coming Savior. And so this is not a threat, but there's finality. And what Jesus is saying is you cannot fake it. You cannot fake it and then get real when you think it counts. Because what happened is these, these bridesmaids left and went, and went and got their oil and then came, or in Texas we say oil, um, and came to the door after it was shut. And then they knock. You know, sometimes we think we can fake it up to the last minute. You know, procrastination, this is in your notes. Procrastination only works when you know the deadline. When I was in college, the first day of classes, we got this thing called a syllabus. If you are like me, you go through and you see how big the assignments are and when they're due. Now, if you get a syllabus at the beginning and at the end of the semester, you've got a giant research paper due and you know it's not due until the end of the semester, man, go on, do your thing, you know? Sleep in, you know, up all night, sleep all day, whatever, you know, play an entire season of Madden football, um, you know, goof off, angry birds for, for 
two-thirds of the semester, I will not admit I like that game. You know, you, you know what, you, stay on Facebook, America's time drain, you know. Um, you, will, you will push it and push it and push it until that last minute. But what if it was like this? What if the, the professor said in that syllabus, at any time during the semester, I, was, I reserve the right to send an email and say I want the paper now. And what are you going to do? You're going to pull an all-nighter and you're going to get that puppy done. You know, I... I, I am probably the world's best procrastinator, um, and I can come up with beautiful excuses to procrastinate it, um, but Jesus is saying, you can't procrastinate. Don't wait. The danger of that is we don't know the deadline. I mean, think about the, the bridesmaids. They fell asleep. They, they, they thought, well, I have some oil, and maybe if I run out, I can borrow some, and it was too late because they didn't know the deadline. You know, it says that the bride and the groom were a long time in coming. Don't wait. The longer you fake it, the harder it is to tell you're a fake. You know, I, I don't know if, you, if you've found yourself caught up in a lie and you end up believing the lie that you've created and you don't know how to get back to who you really are. Um, I, I think that um, I, I've been through this process. And I, I really just had to be like David and pray, God, search my heart. I mean, I, I was a fake so well that I couldn't tell I was a fake. And I had a hard time reconciling that. I mean, the longer we follow empty, dead religion, the harder it is for us to recognize what Jesus really wants. You know, the longer we sit and we say, well, I'm a nice person. I'm, I'm, a, I'm good enough. I come to church every week. You know, I even help a little bit. And, and I'm, I'm a good person. And, and we think that that's what Jesus is looking for. You know, Jesus is looking for real people that want a real relationship with him. You know, Jesus doesn't, isn't just a, looking for sweet church people. You know, Jesus just doesn't set out and go into Jerusalem and say, you know what, I'm going to go to the cross so I can, get, I can get some nice church ladies with bonnets and that baked pies because that's what I want in the kingdom of heaven. He set out and says, I want people. I want people that have a desire to know me and, and for me to know them. I desire a connection and a relationship. I know I keep pushing this in, but we have got to get this. We've got to understand this. Because we are, honestly, you know, I was on Facebook this week and reading some posts of friends who are not Christians and, and who have been so burned and hurt by religion, they won't have anything to do with Jesus. And there are people that are looking at that and, and we are the joke of late night TV because we try to be the nice religious people instead of having a real relationship with God. I'm a messed up man, but I have a relationship with Jesus. Because I'm a pastor, I mean, it, there's no air of perfection. I mean, the reason this stage is only this tall, tall is when I fall, it's not going to hurt as bad. Do not put me on a pedestal because I'm going to fall, I'll probably fall on you and it's going to be an ugly, nasty mess and, and just we, we're not going to go there. But Jesus wants a real relationship. You know, people think that they can, I said that they can live their life the way they want and then at the end go, I'm going to be sincere. Now, how do we think we can fake it 99.9% of the time and then in the last 0.1% really be able to turn on the sincerity? I mean, think about it in your marriage. If you've been faking it in your marriage, it's hard to be sincere. If you've been faking it at work, 
It's hard to be sincere. It's hard to turn that on. Now, this is not saying, and I'm not saying that Jesus will not accept people in the last minutes and seconds of their life if they are sincere. But Jesus doesn't desire to know us in the final seconds of our life. He desires to know us. And he desires for us to be known by him. I mean, what, what Christianity is this. When we stand before God, it is going to be simply this. Jesus is going to say, do I know you and do you know me? But Jesus, I, 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 I haven't been always good. I know you and you know me. You know, Friday, um, one of our elders retired from 30 years in the Navy. And I had the absolute honor and privilege to be a part of that ceremony. And as I sat there, you know, with, with men with things on their shoulders, not dandruff, <laughs> gold on their shoulders, and I just felt so out of place. And uh, it, was, it was an amazing ceremony, um, but it was on the base. And I always feel just so distinguished when I get to go on the base. Uh, you know, I, it's like I get to go on the base. You know, I, I'm not supposed to be there, but I get to go there. You know, I have no reason to be there other than this retirement ceremony. And so we, uh, Heather and I are going to this, and, uh, and Joseph better love me because I put a suit on for him. <laughs> and some of y'all saw me in that suit. You know, that's probably the, the one of the last times you'll see me. If you're getting married or buried, I'll be in a suit, okay? You know, and, and th- this retirement ceremony ranked up there as one of those times where I would be, I would be willing to don a suit. Um, it's a whole ugly mess getting in the suit, but, you know, we're going to save that. I looked good, according to Heather. Um, so we roll up to the gate, you know, and I look pretty distinguished, you know, because I can clean up well. And, um, and so, you know, my shirt's tucked in, and, and uh, I got my suit on and my tie, and my face is all red because I can't breathe, you know. And I uh, get to the gate, and this guard steps out of the gate. And the first thing I notice is, is his gun, okay? You know, I, you know, it's like, that's a pretty big gun there, cowboy. And, uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't roll up to this gate and go, how you doing, soldier? I'm Matt. I need on the base. He'd be like, uh-uh. You see that wall that's in the ground? That's going to pop up. It's going, and you, you're not going anywhere, cowboy. And uh, I didn't roll up and say, uh, but you got to let me on because I, I'm a good person and the base is going to be better for me being there. I have a responsibility that I have to do on that base. I got to be on that base and you cannot get in the way of this. Sorry, you're not getting on this base, chief, you know. But I'm an American and I pay taxes and, and that's American soil and I need on there. And he's going to say, being an American does not qualify you to get on this base. I'm not going to say, but, but my father was in the military, but my grandfather fought in the war. I have uncles that fought in the war. I have family that fought in the war. I'm a pastor, and I've got people in my church that are military, and you've got to let me on that base. And he's going to say, uh-uh. And his hand's going to move towards the button. He's going to do this with a hand. Gun, button, you know, the pop-up blocker, you know, not on a computer, the pop-up blocker, and his gun. So... In a matter of seconds, I'm going to have this thing go, you need to back up, sir. And no, here's what I did. I rolled up to the gate and I said, I'm here for Command Master Chief Joseph Reel's retirement ceremony. My name is Matt Oxley. 
And I handed him Heather's ID and my ID. And he says, okay, hang on a second. He goes in the guardhouse. And he comes out and he, and he says, pull up here while I verify this. And he was letting people who were supposed to be on the base who <laughs> come in. And I, we wait up there. And, you know, I'm staring at the pop-up blocker, you know. Like, it's in the ground, but, I mean, I'm sure it could come up really quickly. Um, and then the amount of ammunition that could be coming from behind me. Um, you know, I'm noticing my surroundings. There's two police car, two base police cars, um, which they carry probably a little bit higher authority. Um, and I look over, and you can see off in the distance the base prison. I didn't know there was a prison on there. Um, I thought I could be in there. If I hit this gas right now, I mean, what would happen? I mean, my mind plays weird games, you know. <laughs> You know, and then I start praying, God, please don't let my foot have a spasmus. <laughs> you know? so, so here's the process of what's going on in the guardhouse. This guy's probably thinking, how are we going to let this kid on the base? I mean, he's, if he could read my mind, I wouldn't be on that base. I mean, <laughs> Joseph would be upset with me. He'd be like, man, we waited for you to start. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, he went in the guardhouse with, with our IDs. Um, he verified the list that was given for this retirement ceremony, and he verified my ID to make sure I wasn't fake. And he came out and he handed me back my ID, and he raised the gate and said, go on in. And we think that when we get to heaven, we're going to be able to stand before heaven and say, but I've been a good person. Sorry, pop-up blocker. <laughs> you know, but my grandparents, but my, my mother, my father. You know, I have family. But I went to church, and I sat in church with a bunch of Christians. And he's going to say, I'm sorry, I don't know you, and you don't know me. The only reason I got on that base is I knew Joseph, and Joseph knew me. The only way I'm going to enter into heaven is Jesus is going to say, I know you. The only way on, the only way in is I know Jesus, and Jesus knows me. There's no threat about it. It's an eternity um, of, of glory. Um, we only get into heaven by knowing Jesus and being known by him. I love what Jesus says um, in John 17, 3. I'll read it to you. You don't have to turn there. Um, but in John 17, 3, after Jesus was arrested, and we're entering in the final weeks of Jesus' life, the final days of Jesus' life, um, he's praying. And, and we're read, we read these words in John 17 uh, more for our benefit than Jesus's. I mean, he is praying, and he says this, John 17, 3. Actually, I'm going to back up and I'm going to read uh, 1 through 3. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those who have, you have given him. And then he defines eternal life. He says, now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. See, Jesus defines eternal life as a relationship, not a time frame. We tend to think that, that eternity is a time. Eternity is a relationship. An eternal reward, an eternal life in heaven and in, in the presence of God is us being in that most intimate connection and relationship with our God, with our Savior, with our Creator. And so what is eternal punishment? Eternal punishment is just the opposite. It is a separation. It is not knowing God. And God does not desire for anyone to ever be in that situation. So what's Christianity? What's heaven? What's this, this whole thing, this, all this church about? It's all about knowing Jesus. 
Well, why are there commandments? Why are there rules? There's only enough commandments and rules to drive us closer to Jesus. When we start trying to impose more rules and complicate Jesus and complicate grace, then we've, we've turned into hypocrites. And we stand on the other side of Jesus' argument. There's just enough there. Um, it is spoken of the law that the law is but a shadow of the one to come. Jesus came to fulfill the law. It drives us to Jesus. So why do we gather in a, a daycare center? Why do we worship? Why do we sing? Why do we celebrate communion? Why do we, why do we give of our time to set up, to take care of, of people, to take care of kids, to, take care, to use our talents? Why do we give money to, to this church? We do it to make it personal. We do it so that we can personally know Jesus and we are personally invested in our relationship with him. God does not need our time. He does not need our money. He does not need us to attend a room like this. What he wants is our heart. He says, I want you. And so when we get into doing the other things without the connection to Jesus, it's, it's dead religion. And Jesus says, that's not what I died for. I died so that you could know me and so that I could know you in the most intimate way. And so your reflection this week is, is my faith personal? I mean, is it, are you locked in on that faith? I mean, is it yours? Not something that you've borrowed from someone else. Not something that you're, you're, you just have this hope that you're going to get into heaven. Because see, that faith is the assurance that our faith is personal. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for being angry in these, in these words and thank you for fighting for us. And thank you for being angry for us so that we don't get caught in a trap of being fake and, and just putting on a, a, a pretty show of life. We thank you that you involved yourself in the mess of humanity. That you don't expect us to be perfect, but you expect us to know you and to be known by you. And so Jesus, right now, I, I don't know the condition of our faith. I know the condition of mine. And I pray that right now, that, that through your Holy Spirit, that as we uh, humble ourselves before you, that you just search us and you reveal to us where our faith is. That God, uh, none of this is a, th- a threat. I mean, it, it's not a threat to recite a prayer to think we've covered something personal when it's not. So Jesus, today might be the day that you're drawing someone to say, we've got to make this personal. And only you in your infinite wisdom and and your divine nature can draw and can transform lives. And so I ask that if anyone, as they're confronted with the the reality of, of where their faith is, that you give them the courage to just cry out to you. Say, Jesus, I've I've been faking this and and it's hard to realize that I've been faking it because it seems real. But 
but there's no real power. So Jesus, I, I, I ask you to, to know me. And I want to know you. Not in a, a surface, in a superficial way, but I want to know you. I want to know the heart of God who is willing to walk to a cross and endure suffering and shame. And the heart of God, the Spirit of God that raised Jesus from the tomb. I want to know that. I want to submit my life to that. Father, for for many of us in this room, we may have a a personal faith, but it's it's grown stale. It, it's grown. We've grown complacent in our faith that we just we love you, but we just kind of we're we're stale. Would you wrap your arms around us and let us experience and feel your grace in such a way that that it just reignites that passion, Father? Just as the wise bridesmaids, they trim the lamps and they lit those. Would you would you trim off? the things in our life that need to be taken away. And would you reignite our lamp? Would you reignite our flame and our passion to know you and to be known by you? Not to be a religious jerk or to be uh, people who want to who, who create our own system or build our own kingdom, but ignite in us a passion to know you and to be known by you and let you lead us in life. And God, give us the courage, those of us who are parents in this room, to not let our kids just rest on our coattails of faith. Thank you for a ministry with Creek Kids that they are teaching the gospel to our kids so that our kids are developing a personal faith. Give us the courage, the ability, and the wisdom, and the knowledge as parents to do that in our homes. And we love you, and we just thank you love us and desire this relationship with us. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.